Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer and here are today's top stories. Politicians and high-profile lawyers among the more than 30 people who the Fulton County jury wanted to charge, who's named in the newly released report. Unexpected opportunities for Biden as China is absent from the G20 summit, what the president might announce next after meeting with India's prime minister. A highly anticipated impeachment inquiry vote and an imminent Hunter Biden indictment. What lawmakers are saying as these issues loom large over the 2024 election. Former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi running for re-election next year. The 83-year-old's announcement comes amid growing concerns over aging politicians. Killer on the run. The murderer who escaped in Pennsylvania is still on the loose. How did the illegal immigrant get into the country? We hear from an immigration lawyer. And Call of Duty's new AI speech monitoring feature sparks controversy. Gamers on both sides weigh in. Before we dive into our political coverage and update on Hurricane Lee, it's been downgraded to a Category 4 storm following a day of rapid intensification. But the wind is still coming in full force with maximum sustained speeds of 155 miles per hour. Judging by the way it's heading, the hurricane will likely sweep north of the northern Leeward Islands in Puerto Rico next week. On Thursday, Lee more than doubled its wind speed in a matter of 24 hours, going from 80 to 165 miles per hour. That made it the strongest storm in the Atlantic Ocean since 2019. And for you surfers living on the East Coast, be prepared to pack up this weekend because dangerous rip currents might come as early as Sunday. It's still too early to know whether the storm will have any direct impact on the U.S. mainland. President Biden and India's Prime Minister reaffirming ties as the two get ready for the G20 summit. Joining us live is NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao, who's on the ground in New Delhi. Iris, what's the president up to and what are we expecting? Good evening to you. So President Biden landed here with a Bollywood-style greeting with dances and pop music. And after landing here, he held a 52-minute bilateral meeting with Indian Prime Minister Modi at Modi's house. And during that meeting, the two leaders reaffirmed U.S. and India ties by vowing to support a global semiconductor supply chain and for India to become a permanent member of the U.N. Security Council. The two leaders also reaffirmed their vows to support human rights and democracy. And Kurt Campbell, a Biden advisor on Indo-Pacific region, said that the warm sentiments between the two leaders really drove their conversation. Let's take a listen. What I have seen uh, grown over time is an undeniable warmth and confidence uh, between uh, the two leaders, which has basically developed over a series of meetings and shared projects and ambitions over the last several years. But while the leaders of U.S. and India vow to support freedom and democracy, the leaders of China and Russia have chosen to pull out of this year's G20 summit here at New Delhi. And of course, we heard that President Biden said he was disappointed that China would not show up this year at the summit. But Kurt Campbell did say that actually China's absence could create opportunities for U.S. and India to become even closer. Let's take a listen. 
there are undeniable opportunities here for the United States. We fully intend to um, strengthen and deepen our relationship. We uh, leave it to China in particular to discuss and explain why, why they are not. And at the G20 summit to kick off tomorrow morning, which is just in a few hours, President Biden is expected to call for more investments in developing countries, which is to counter China's influence in these countries through its Belt and Road Initiative. And Biden is also expected to announce a major railway deal that would connect India with the Middle East and Europe. And that move is also expected to counter China's influence in the Middle East. Back to you. Iris, thank you for that update. That was our White House correspondent Iris Tao reporting to us live from India. The Georgia Special Grand Jury report released today shows the jury pushed for charges against more than three dozen people, including three U.S. senators. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has the details. The Georgia Special Grand Jury report in the Trump election case published on Friday after Judge Robert McBurney ordered its release last week. The report showing the jury recommending charges against 39 people, including U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham and former Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. Although portions of the report were released in February, Judge McBurney delayed its full release until after the indictment was issued last month, saying he wanted to protect people's due process rights. In an August 28 order, he said their due process rights are no longer relevant. The report recommends that Graham be charged in connection with a national effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election, focused on efforts in Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and the District of Columbia. In 2021, Georgia prosecutor Fonnie Willis investigated a phone call Graham made to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in November 2020. Raffensperger had said Graham asked him about throwing out mail-in ballots. Graham denied it. I talked to him about how you verify signatures. Graham was forced to testify before the special grand jury last year after the Supreme Court blocked his efforts to challenge it. Earlier today, Graham said he was totally surprised the grand jury recommended charges against him. Yeah, because I thought I made it pretty clear that my phone call was to find out what I should be doing as a senator. I never suggested anybody set aside the election. I never said go find votes. I never said anything other than trying to find out how the mail-in balloting system worked. And I was really confused, and I still am, quite frankly. Former GOP Senators Leffler and Purdue of Georgia were also recommended for charges related to alleged national efforts to overturn the 2020 election. The grand jury recommended an additional charge against Purdue for filing false statements and writings. Purdue lost his attempts to unseat Kemp in 2022 as governor of Georgia. Short-term appointed Republican Leffler lost her bid for election in 2021 to Democrat Raphael Warnock. Other notable names recommended but not charged include Cleta Mitchell, a Trump legal advisor, General Michael Flynn, a Trump advisor, and Lynn Wood, a former Georgia attorney who tried unsuccessfully to challenge the 2020 election results. In July, Wood voluntarily gave up his Georgia law license to avoid a disciplinary case tied to allegations he tried to overturn the 2020 election. The case was subsequently dismissed. Also in July, the judge blocked Trump's attempt to prevent Prosecutor Willis from relying on the special jury report for her expected indictment. In response to the report's release, Trump said in a social media post that it had zero credibility. He said it badly taints Fonnie Willis and this whole political witch hunt. Essentially, they wanted to indict anybody who happened to be breathing at the time. Arlene Richards, NTD News.
Meanwhile, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem is expected to endorse former President Donald Trump for 2024 tonight. The former president is in the state for a Republican fundraiser. It could also be an opportunity for Noem to showcase herself as a potential vice presidential pick. Janice Heisel from the Epoch Times is there now. Hi, Tiffany. I'm reporting to you from Rapid City, South Dakota. I'm here at the Monument Ice Arena, where 7,000 people are expected to come tonight and hear former President Donald Trump speak. We also have Governor Christie Nome. Now, earlier, when I was speaking with some of the people waiting outside hours in advance, they were telling me that they don't think that the president will make a decision tonight as to whether she could be a vice presidential running mate. However, they did tell me they are expecting that she will announce her endorsement of former President Trump to be the next president of the United States. Back to you in the studio. Janice, thank you. And an impeachment inquiry into President Biden is anticipated as House lawmakers return to session. Top Republicans have all but promised to bring a vote as the president's son, Hunter Biden, is now facing an imminent indictment. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports from Capitol Hill. Special counsel David Weiss, who's overseeing Hunter Biden's tax evasion and illegal firearms case, intends to indict the president's son by the end of this month. And Senator Chris Coons, a Delaware Democrat, also a longtime ally of President Biden, downplayed the idea that this indictment would carry political ramifications for President Biden come 2024. Hunter Biden's not on the ballot. Um, former President Trump is. He's been indicted dozens of times. This imminent indictment comes at a time when the House has been probing Hunter Biden's business dealings and whether or not President Biden has had a hand in these foreign deals. We're investigating something that's never been investigated before. Chairman Comer's committee has his hands on bank records showing tens of millions of dollars in foreign cash flow to the Biden family at the time that President Biden served as vice president. On top of this, they have witness testimony from one of Hunter Biden's former business partners that says that President Biden, when serving as vice president, did meet with their business associates. All of this leading up to now top Republicans, including Speaker McCarthy, calling for an impeachment inquiry vote against the president. And Congressman Matt Gates is pressuring Speaker Kevin McCarthy to stick to this plan, threatening to bring a motion to oust him from his speakership position if he chooses to fall through on this plan of the impeachment inquiry vote. While some Republicans like Matt Gates are itching for this impeachment inquiry vote to happen, other Republicans say the evidence is lacking. If they reach that point where they can find evidence of a connection, uh, fine, I think the Republicans will move forward with an impeachment inquiry. Right now, I'm not convinced that that evidence exists, and I'm not supporting an impeachment inquiry. And right now, it's unclear whether or not they have the votes to do this. Chairman Comer has said they do have the votes. Ultimately, we will have to wait and see how especially those moderates and swing districts are feeling about this issue when they come back to Capitol Hill next week. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is running for re-election next year. She announced her decision in a post on X today. Her post reads, Now more than ever, our city needs us to advance San Francisco values and further our recovery. The California Democrat has been in Congress since 1987. She served twice as House Speaker, first from 2007 to 2011, then from 2019 till this January. 
Pelosi is currently 83 years old. The news of her decision to run again comes at a time of heightened attention to questions over age limits of lawmakers due to health and capacity to serve. California Governor Gavin Newsom says he's backing President Biden for a second term. During an interview with MSNBC, the governor urged his Democratic colleagues to move past the idea that the president isn't going to run. President Biden is going to run uh, and looking forward to getting him reelected. Uh, I think there's been so much wallowing uh, in the last few months and hand-wringing in this respect. Uh, but we're gearing up for the campaign. We're looking forward to it. When asked whether he could be a potential candidate if Biden didn't run, Newsom said that Vice President Kamala Harris is, quote, naturally the one lined up. He added that he wouldn't challenge Harris if she were running. Newsom has often said he won't run against Biden in 2024, although there has been much speculation about the California governor potentially throwing his hat in the ring. The manhunt in Pennsylvania for a convicted murderer and illegal immigrant is entering the ninth day today. The Brazilian native was already wanted for murder in his home country, yet still managed to come to the U.S. NTD's Arian Pazdar spoke with an immigration lawyer to learn more about the case. Friday marks the ninth day of the manhunt for Danilo Cavacante. Pennsylvania authorities closed Longwood Gardens, one of the country's top botanical gardens. As of Friday afternoon, the fugitive has been spotted nine times, but not been captured. I think that it's a very challenging area. I think we've had a number of these types of searches in the past. Some take uh, hours, some take days, some take weeks, and some take months. Cavalcante received a life sentence last month for stabbing his ex-girlfriend 38 times in front of her children in 2021. However, the Brazilian native soon after escaped prison by scaling the wall, as you can see in this video. The 34-year-old fugitive is also wanted in his home country, Brazil. That's due to a separate murder which took place in 2017. The criminal escaped Brazil and came to the U.S. illegally. He reportedly obtained a fake ID which he might have used to enter the U.S. To explore this issue and more, I spoke with Hannah Crispin, a Massachusetts immigration lawyer from Brazil. How hard is it, generally speaking, to use a fake ID to enter the U.S.? Well, actually, it should be very hard, to, but in practical terms, we know that people manage to do so, to either alter the pictures or alter the information in the passport. Crispin says the government is tackling this problem by implementing biometric documents, which include fingerprints, eye scans and more. Immigration officials previously indicated that they had planned to deport Cavalcante, but only after he did his time here in the U.S. In this specific case, because he's already wanted in Brazil and he's in the U.S. illegally, would it have made more sense to just deport him instead of putting him in prison here in the U.S.? That's a decision that the U.S. government needs to make. It's a big decision for the, gov the American government to know that they are sending a convicted felon to a country where uh, he probably will get out of prison within a couple years. Law enforcement on Thursday said special units from all over the country are in Pennsylvania to assist with the search for Cavacante. A reward of $20,000 has been set for information leading to his arrest. Arian Pastar, NTD News. And a new development. The prison guard who was on duty at the time of the escape has been fired. Reports say he had worked at the prison for about 20 years. 
Coming up, Call of Duty's new AI speech monitoring feature sparks controversy. Gamers on both sides weigh in. California may get an 11% tax on guns and ammunition. One gun shop owner weighs in on the proposal as a bill to increase the sales tax advances. And are major climate models working? Nobel laureate John Clauser shares how many fail to address the complexity of one key variable. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. Welcome back. California lawmakers have locked and loaded a new bill on taxes for guns and ammunition. Entity's Christina Corona hears the pushback from one Southern California gun shop. California lawmakers have voted to raise taxes on the sale of guns and ammunition, aiming to pay for a variety of school safety improvements. The tax increase on the sale of guns and ammunition comes after California Assembly Bill 28 was passed by Democrats Thursday. The money received by the measure would be used to fund various gun violent prevention, education, research and investigation programs. This proposed 11% tax matches the federal rate on guns. Unlike most states, California currently imposes over $37 in fees on firearm sales, primarily covering background check costs. We spoke with Alvin Pham, who told us what he thinks of the new bill. I think it's going to affect uh, the people of the lower class the most, uh, just because at this point in time, firearms aren't exactly cheap, and by increasing uh, the taxes, it's going to definitely increase the cost of the firearms and make it much harder for the people who actually need uh, something for self-defense to be able to obtain something for self-defense. I think it will probably lead to an increase of illegal um, firearms transactions just because as it is, um, we already have a decent amount of that um, going around. But when you start pricing things out and making it harder for law-abiding citizens to be law-abiding citizens, th that's just not going to be a choice for some people. The California tax is estimated to generate $159 million annually, with $75 million allocated to the California Violence Intervention and Prevention Grant Program. If you were to look back at history, the reason why we funded, founded America was to avoid taxation on teas, or the, way, the reason we revolted in the first place. But in, real, like, in all honesty, there is some amount of taxes that are going to be required. I just don't know if this is the right way to go about it. The bill, authored by Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel, passed the California Senate, awaiting one more assembly floor vote before reaching Governor Gavin Newsom. The new tax is not directly charged to the consumer, but to the stores that sells guns and ammunition. If signed, the 11% tax would be imposed on dealers and manufacturers beginning July 1st. Christina Corona, NTD News, Los Angeles. Now zooming in on the debate over climate issues, Nobel laureate John Clauser says all the major climate models are flawed and that there's no climate emergency. He sits down with American Thought Leaders host Yanya Kellogg to discuss. Dr. John Clauser won the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics for his contributions to quantum mechanics. In a recent episode of American Thought Leaders, he explains why he considers major climate models to be flawed. The IPCC has 40 different computer models 
all of which are making predictions, and all of which are being quoted by the press as predicting a, a climate crisis apocalypse. The problem is they all are total disagreement, violent disagreement with each other in their predictions, and not one of them is capable of predicting uh, retroactively of predict, uh, explaining the history of the Earth's uh, climate for the last hundred years. Clauser says all the major climate models fail to consider one key variable, the effect of clouds. He says the models are done with a cloud-free Earth when the real Earth is shrouded in clouds. The cloud cover fraction fluctuates uh, quite dramatically on daily, weekly time scales. We call this weather. <laughs> you can't have weather without having clouds. And it is this fluctuation in cloud cover of the Earth that causes what I would refer to as sunlight reflectivity thermostat that controls the climate, controls the temperature of the Earth, and stabilizes it uh, very uh, powerfully and very dramatically. Uh, of this mechanism, totally uh, uh, heretofore unnoticed. This is clearly the most important, the controlling uh, mechanism for the Earth's temperature and, and climate, and it dwarfs the effect of CO2 and methane. All the government programs that are designed to uh, limit CO2 and methane should be immediately uh, dropped. Clauser was one of two Nobel laureates to recently sign a declaration organized by the Clintel Foundation alongside 1,600 other scientists and professionals stating there is no climate emergency. He says America's current climate policies are wasteful, misguided, and counterproductive. These geoengineering proposals uh, uh, are outrageously expensive and they're totally ineffectual. There's no way you're going to have any effect. But, the, okay, my surprise is that people are upset with what I'm giving, I believe, to be good news. The good news is we don't need to. You can watch the full interview with Dr. John Clauser on Epic TV. The popular video game Call of Duty will soon use artificial intelligence to monitor the speech of online gamers. Activision says its new AI system will help clean up toxic speech. How are gamers reacting? NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Call of Duty, a very popular shooter video game, has started using AI to monitor players' speech online. Activision, the publisher of Call of Duty, says the purpose is to crack down on toxic speech more effectively. The company says on its blog that Call of Duty is doubling down on its fight against hate speech and other types of toxic and disruptive behavior. And AI will help identify and police players' conduct. Activision will use a system called ToxMod, an AI-powered voice chat moderation technology. The company says ToxMod can identify and enforce against discriminatory language, harassment, and more in real time. And Activision will determine the penalties. Violators may be temporarily suspended, permanently suspended, or face account renaming and stat resets. YouTuber and game reviewer 8-Bit Eric seems skeptical of the new AI feature. We're going to be getting spied on. Our conversations on Call of Duty are going to be listened to in real time. 
no matter what it is you say you could say something private you give away your address your phone number your name your location you if they ever get hacked everybody literally using voice chat on call of duty's information is at risk but other people don't see it that way i am absolutely elated that they're actually rolling this out. I spoke with professional live streamer and gamer Mrs. Fret to see how she thinks it'll affect the online gaming experience. Once they hear that you're female, you are absolutely annihilated and you hear the most horrific sexist things you could absolutely imagine. And I'm going to be more protected and I love that. And there's another part of gaming she said AI will help with in Call of Duty. You just absolutely annihilated your opponent. Your opponent and their friends can actually attack you and do what's called spam reporting. And they just vigorously start going into your name, report player, choose offensive language, choose races, choose cheating, choose whatever they want. And they could just sit there and spam it without any context to it or any proof. With AI, it's going to know the difference and it's going to do everything for you. So. Activision said the full version of the AI-powered speech enforcer will be rolled out worldwide on November 10th. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, the Fulton County jury was trying to cast as wide a net as possible, according to a lawyer. Find out what he says about why the judge is releasing the jury's report now. And China's economy has been slowing. We hear from an economist on how that's impacting the rest of the world, including the U.S., when we come back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Hurricane Lee is now a Category 4 storm in the Atlantic Ocean after intensifying at a historic pace in just one day. Islands are expecting storm surge, but no warnings yet for the U.S. mainland. The full final special grand jury report in the Georgia election case was made public today. It shows the jury pushed for charges against 39 people, including Senator Lindsey Graham and former Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. President Biden met with the Indian Prime Minister before the annual G20 summit. Noticeably missing from the event are Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. But the White House says the U.S. sees this as an opportunity to strengthen relationships with the rest of the nations attending. House lawmakers are soon expected to begin an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. The House is probing Hunter Biden's business dealings and whether or not his father had a hand in these foreign deals. Let's dive more into the legal troubles involving some of America's top political players, President Biden, his son, and former President Trump. We spoke with a lead counsel with the National Legal and Policy Center to assess all the recent updates. Paul Kaminar, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. My pleasure. So we just learned today that the grand jury had recommended charges against 39 people, 21 of whom were not indicted. Among those recommended for charges were Senator Lindsey Graham and former Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler from Georgia. What do you make the, of the scope of this in, involving so many people? Well, it was clear that they were trying to cast a wide net as possible. And uh, they, I think, overreached by including all these other people in there, Senator Lindsey Graham, 
uh, attorneys such as Cleta Mitchell. Uh, and, and I think uh, perhaps uh, Fannie Willis realized that, wait a minute, you know, 19 is a big handful as it is. And I think she sort of called it down to that and did not indict uh, the others uh, who were listed in the grand jury, uh, special grand jury uh, report. And uh, it, it seems to me that uh, maybe some of them have uh, made a deal or has cooperated uh, with Fannie Willis to say, hey, look, don't indict me. I'll tell you what you need, what want to know, but uh, I doubt it. I think she just made a decision that uh, thirty, you know, having more than what she did already was too much to handle, and not wise to go after somebody like a sitting senator uh, like Lindsey Graham because that would raise certain constitutional issues as well. Now, a judge decided to unseal this special grand jury report. That is unusual. As many legal experts point out, this information is usually kept secret, as you mentioned, to protect these identities. Why do you think this report has been made public? Well, I think perhaps uh, she wanted to show uh, through her, the grand jury report that this was a wide-ranging investigation and that uh, uh, she was uh, covering all her bases because she was being criticized for the way she went after the current uh, uh, defendants as it is. So I think that was part of her reasoning. But you're right. Usually grand jury proceedings uh, are kept secret under state law. It's a little bit different. But under federal law, this would have never happened. And now it's not just Trump's legal woes filling headlines. Hunter Biden is also making news now. He could be indicted by the end of this month. That's after his so-called sweetheart deal fell apart. That's what Republicans are calling it. What changed in terms of Hunter Biden's case? Well, as you said, the sweetheart deal fell apart, and rightly so, because uh, the federal judge realized that uh, there were provisions in there that uh, she could not sign off on. And then you had Merrick Garland uh, appoint uh, 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 David Weiss as a special counsel who now has the authority to file charges here in the District of Columbia, as well as in California, where apparently he wanted to bring charges uh, 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 back then. But uh, we're told by the U.S. attorneys here, no, you can't come into our court and our jurisdiction. So uh, look for that being filed. But there's a little glitch going on because one of the counts dealt with this. Uh, the paperwork, a uh, violation of the uh, uh, buying a gun uh, without disclosing that he was uh, on drugs. Uh, that one, uh, the Hunter Biden's attorney saying, wait a minute, we had a deal that, you know, if we stay clean, uh, you're going to drop those charges. And, and uh, so that's still up in the air because Hunter Biden's attorney saying, we're complying with that agreement. We're going to our probation office, checking in once a week, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's not going to work. I think the whole deal fell apart. And so look for charges, not only on the tax counts, but the gun charge. But even if it, they file misdemeanor charges, that's ridiculous. These are felony charges. The two IRS whistleblowers laid out a great case. Well, it should have been felony charges. I mean, you know, you deduct as a business expense, $5,000. You pay to a sex club. I'd say that's a business expense. Come on. That's not misdemeanors. That's, that's felony kind of uh, violations going on here. So uh, we'll see what's going to happen by the end of the month when they decide what to file and where to file. And this comes as House Republicans are preparing a possible impeachment on President Biden that says they look into the Biden family business dealings. Could Hunter Biden's indictment impact that? And what do you make of the timing here? There will be probably a House uh, impeachment inquiry uh, that relates to the 
millions of dollars that Hunter Biden got uh, from foreign sources and how that was shared with the Biden family, including possibly his father. The question is, when are they going to have this impeachment inquiry up on the Hill? There's a, a sort of a tug of war, whether they should have it now or wait till later, et cetera. But I think the indictment of Hunter Biden uh, later this month might bring that to the forefront. Paul Kaminar, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. My pleasure. And we've just learned that a federal judge has rejected former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' bid to move his Georgia criminal case to federal court. U.S. District Court Judge Steve Jones wrote in the decision that Meadows had not met the threshold for removal to federal court because his activities for the Trump campaign were outside the scope of his federal role as White House Chief of Staff. The ruling against Meadows is all but certain to impact the former president and his 18 co-dependents. Meadows is the first of five defendants who filed motions to move the case to federal court. Turning now to the global economy, analysts are expressing concerns over continued signs of an economic slowdown in China. To help us understand what's causing it and how it impacts the rest of the world, including the U.S., we spoke with the chief economist at Tresses. Daniel Lacaye, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. So, Daniel, China's exports have dropped again, this time by 8.8% in August. This is continuing a trend since April. What is driving this trend? I think that what drives this trend is the very significant slowdown of the global economy and particularly the Eurozone. We have to remember that China is a very large exporter to countries like Germany, which is in recession, countries that are in the developed nations suffering from a weaker environment for manufacturing. Obviously, China certainly provides a a significant amount of the imports for those countries in the manufacturing sector. The manufacturing sector in developed nations is in contraction for what is now uh, more than 10 months. And given that China is the world's second largest economy, how do their economic woes impact, say, America? Well, certainly the challenges of the Chinese economy impact the United States in two ways. On the one hand, uh, the Chinese imports into the United States, i.e. the Chinese exports to the United States, uh, are going to be probably cheaper. We're going to see some deflation in imports into the United States. The second, obviously, is that nobody benefits from uh, the slowdown of any of the large economies. So we know we already know that when the United States enters into a recession, there is a fear of recession in many other economies that are we are all interconnected. So obviously, uh, a slowdown in the Chinese economy, although it is expected to grow about 5% this year, uh, is certainly going to impact Asia and certainly Latin America very significantly, and obviously the United States to a lesser extent. And Daniel, new projections by Bloomberg Economics says China's economy may never overtake the U.S. That's after previous research has said China's economy might surpass the U.S. as soon as 2028. What changed here? I think that ultimately what changed was the estimates of growth coming from the real estate and construction sector. 
massive infrastructure spending. I think that that is, that is what was probably mistaken in some of consensus estimates, the idea that the Chinese economy would completely offset the manufacturing and construction part of the economy with the service economy uh, to, uh, to generate no discernible impact on annual growth. So obviously it sheds between two to two and a half points per annum of growth, and that leads to the revision that Bloomberg was estimating. And what about on the U.S. economy's side? Has it gained any strength or is it still the same? Well, at the same time, that's a very good point. At the same time, the U.S. economy was predicted to enter into a recession this year. It is very likely that it will not happen. The U.S. economy seems to be a lot stronger and is probably going to deliver in the third quarter a level of growth that is much larger than what estimates were already uh, uh, included in consensus. However, we don't know if there will be a recession in 2024, but at least so far, what everyone can say is that the doom and gloom predictions about a huge recession in the United States in 2023 is not happening, and that maybe uh, the, the estimates for 2023 will continue to put the United States significantly above the Eurozone, which is a very important part, because if you remember, a few years ago, in the middle of the pandemic, most of consensus estimates assumed that the Eurozone would get out uh, and faster and better of the crisis than the United States because of the enormous stimulus packages that they implemented and the furloughed job plans, etc. It, it was the opposite. So the United States is surprising to the upside. China is surprising on the negative side because of this uh, contraction in real estate and, uh, and exports. And in the middle, the Eurozone is not surprising almost anyone because the Eurozone is not growing at all. Wow, indeed. And Daniel Lacaye, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Coming up, watching football has become a lot more complicated. NTD's Dave Martin provides a detailed guide to catching all of next season's games. At the U.S. Open today, could a 20-year-old unseated American take down Novak Djokovic? Ben Shelton takes on the 23-time major champion. And how can art inspire virtue and vice versa? Participants in NTD's 10th annual International Classical Chinese Dance Competition explain how dancing comes from the heart. We'll have details when we come back. Welcome back. Watching football has never been so complicated. Only these games on this streaming service, only those games on that service. You might need a spreadsheet if you want to see them all. NTD's Dave Martin explains how and why. Watching football games this year could itself become a game. It's now more complicated than ever before. Here's why. The NFL is divided into two conferences. 
the National Football Conference, and the American Football Conference. Fox will broadcast mostly games with NFC teams, while CBS gets more games with AFC teams. NBC will broadcast Sunday night football on primetime TV and Peacock. ESPN will show Monday night football games on ESPN and ESPN+. Amazon will show Thursday night football games on Prime Video. YouTube TV will have all out-of-market games which people can't watch on their local TV channels. The NFL's own streaming app, NFL Plus, will show local and primetime games. The NFL is currently the most valuable product in all of TV. Everyone wants a piece of it. What they have been able to do is to create an intensity of brand love. Doug Zarkin is the author of Moving Your Brand Out of the Friend Zone. He's done advertising work with the NFL for decades. Zarkin says it's complicated, but the league has done a good job catering to fans through all these options. If you are a New York Giants fan and you live in Dallas, Texas, you can still have access to never missing a snap. But if you are a Von Miller fan and you live in San Diego, Von plays for the Bills, you can also watch your favorite player play. The NFL made up over half of Fox's viewership last season and around one-third the viewership of CBS and NBC. This is Dave Martin, NTD News. And now for more sports news, Dave Martin joins us now live. Dave, the NFL season kicked off last night. Were there any takeaways from Detroit's win? Yeah, uh, clearly the Chiefs uh, missed Travis Kelsey for sure. And so did uh, fantasy football owners like myself, that's for sure. Their offense just does not look the same without him. Granted, they only had two days to prepare. Uh, also, you know, Kadarius Tony clearly had a rough game with the catches last night. Their defense definitely missed um, Chris Jones. Uh, that said, the Lions, though, they're a good team. They have a very good offensive line. Jared Goff has certainly turned his career around there. I think we're actually looking at a future playoff team in the Detroit Lions this year. And now with this being the opening weekend in the NFL, what other games or developments are you interested in seeing? Well, certainly Jets-Bills on Monday Night Football. I think we're all interested to see what Aaron Rodgers does with a new team. He's now 39 years old. You know, can he be elite? I still think he can be elite. I mean, you know, Tom Brady was until he was 45. I will grant that he's been somewhat of the exception, but at least he shows it can be done. He, Rodgers has a very good defense. The Bills are a tough team. They've owned the AFC East, coincidentally, since Brady left three years ago. Now, elsewhere in the league, I think Russell Wilson, uh, I think he bounces back this year for Denver. I also think B. John Robinson, the rookie running back for Atlanta, is going to win Rookie of the Year. But also Brock Purdy. Um, we're all interested to see, can he be the franchise quarterback for San Francisco? He looked great in a small sample size last year. I think he'll um, be their franchise quarterback going forward. And now the college football season is also underway. And while Colorado was the team everyone talked about last week, what do you see as the main attraction this weekend? Well, it could be Colorado again. They play Nebraska. That's an old rivalry game from their Big 8 and Big 12 days. But I think everybody is going to be watching Texas versus Alabama. Now, these two played last year. Alabama barely got by with a field goal with like 10 seconds left. This year, Texas is expected maybe win the Big 12. Bama certainly will compete for the SEC, if not win it. But this year, it's in Tuscaloosa. I also think Bama is kind of flying under the radar a bit at number three. I think Nick Saban kind of enjoys that. I think this Saturday, the tide will roll. 
And Dave, now shifting gears to tennis, the U.S. Open men's semifinals are today. Are you still picking Djokovic and Alcaraz to play in the finals? Yes, absolutely. Djokovic, he got past uh, Ben Shelton this afternoon in straight sets, although that third set was a doozy. Shelton looks like Shelton, he's only 20 years old. He looks like he'll certainly be back. Alcarez tonight plays Daniel Medvedev. This will be a match of the past two U.S. Open champions. I still think Alcarez wins. But Sunday, I think Djokovic wins. I think he's quietly upset about not getting to play last year because of his vaccination status. I think he wins a record-extending title number 24 on Sunday. Well, Dave, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. Truly good art can inspire people's kindness. That's according to a dancer at NTD's 10th annual competition. Let's hear more from her and her competitors about why they put their heart into dance. Friday is the second day of the preliminary rounds at NTD's 10th International Classical Chinese Dance Competition. Contestants showcased their skills and their understanding of Chinese culture through narrative dance pieces. For me, the biggest takeaway is how to maintain the pure mindset to demonstrate what you have learned on stage. Carol Huang is a student at Feitian College. She won first place two times in the female junior divisions. Carol believes that there's no end to an artist's journey and decided to come back again this year. Participating is a great way to further improve my dance and technical skills. Carol performed a piece that tells the story of a Falun Gong practitioner in China. The character faces persecution by the Chinese Communist Party, but overcomes fear to expose the evils of the regime. I think this is a very meaningful story. And through this competition, it's also a way to let many people know the truth about Falun Gong. The purpose of NTD's competition is to promote authentic dance that embodies pure goodness and pure beauty. Contestants uphold these principles and hope to carry on traditional Chinese culture through dance. I like to read some classical Chinese literature. I think it's helpful for dance because you will understand the moral qualities of ancient Chinese people, such as benevolence, righteousness, propriety, wisdom, and faith. Because I believe dance is something that emphasizes inner cultivation, your character needs to be good so that you can give the audience a comfortable feeling on stage. Truly good art can inspire people's kindness. It's not just about watching a performance. It's about providing positive guidance to people. The semifinals for both the junior division and the adult division will kick off Saturday, with the finals on Sunday. Tickets for both days are available at dance.ntdtv.com. The competition will also be broadcast on NTD, Epic TV, and video sharing platform Ganjing World. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.